Our Old Testament reading is from Genesis, chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, and can be found on page 2 in the Bibles we provide. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 21 and 22, and can be found on page 907 in the Pew Bibles. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the Gospel of Christ. And then from Romans chapter 8, we'll be looking at verses 12 to 17. That is found on page 944 of the Bibles provided, Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. And Father, as we give our attention to your word, we trust that your spirit is present both within us and among us, that you are more willing to teach us than we are to learn, more willing to change us than we are to be changed. So we rest in that, in Christ's name, amen. It has been a joy and a delight to be with you these past weeks. Uh, We felt like we've been coming home. So thank you so much for receiving us so warmly. Uh, Stephanie and I were able to catch up with a few of you personally, far too few of you, I'm afraid. But nevertheless, it it has been a delight. And to be with you now on Mother's Day, I guess I have to apologize to you moms that my message is not about one of the great mothers of Scripture, but it is about the Holy Spirit, who has this attribute in common with all you moms, is that he is a life giver. He gives life. He renews life within us. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, we've been talking these past weeks in this season after Easter about our image of God, how we think of him, what, who we think he is, how do we perceive him. And I've been encouraging us to think of God. He is God alone, but he's not the alone God right? He is the Father, Son, Spirit, God. And that's, of course, the word we know as the Trinity. 
But because that word sometimes gets overused and we don't get to the depth of it, I've introduced some big words. One is perichoresis. And it is this idea of a community that is mutually indwelling. So there's sharing, there's no uh, hiding, there's complete transparency. And because of that, there's ultimate trust and love. And I've said to you that the Father, Son, and Spirit are that community of God. And as we look to that community, we uh, find a model for how we're to live our lives as the people of God. And I must say too that if we conceive of God in some other way, perhaps he's a heavenly Gestapo or something like that, you know, we'll begin to look like that ourselves, won't we? And that's what our community will begin to look like. But as we see God in his glory, and we've sung today about his holiness and his glory, that glory is uh, essentially his perfections expressed in his love in his persons. And, and we've pictured him as a fountain that there is this love that is cascading eternally over. And it's why God created, because he loved. And not only was that his love, but he sent his son into the world after we had rebelled against that love and gone our own way. He sent him pursuing us in love. And now he sins again. He sins his very person. It's like we said last week, grace is God's self-giving in Christ. Now he gives himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to each one of us. What a gift. What an amazing gift. Uh, an English preacher named Thomas Chalmers preached a message and he titled it, you know, they had big titles back in those days. He called it the expulsive power of a new affection. And what he says will explain what he means by that title. He says, no one can dispossess the heart of an old affection, but by the expulsive power of a new one. We love what seems desirable to us. Thus, we will only change what we love when something proves to be more desirable to us than what we already love. I will then always love sin and the world until I truly sense that Christ is better. Now, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He changes our affections, right? We've talked about Jesus, how Christ as the Son comes and opens up to us the relationship with the Father. And by faith, we join ourselves into that relationship. We are welcomed into the fellowship of the Trinity as though we had never sinned. We're seen as Christ. But what happens inside us? How do our desires get changed? How do we get weaned away from the desires of the world and onto the purity and the enjoyment and the joy of our God? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we read three passages this morning, and uh, I'm going to use all three of them, not just one. When John gives us his version of Pentecost, it's actually Easter evening. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead and he appears in the upper room with his disciples and John says he breathes on them and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
that word breath, you know, that's the Old Testament word was ruach, the spirit, and the New Testament word pneuma. But in its essence, what, that, what those words mean is the movement of air. And so the breath or the wind become a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's that that communicates the life of God that's given to the disciples. And I can't tell you how many of the, of the commentators want to sort of organize the chronology between John's Pentecost and the Pentecost of Acts 2, the pouring out of the Spirit. And fortunately, I'm not going to do that for you today because I don't think John was concerned at all with chronology. I think he was signaling something to us, as John often does. And what he was signaling goes all the way back to Genesis 2, verse 7. Do you remember that this is Genesis 2, not Genesis 1? And and the Lord God now, it's Yahweh Elohim, is forming the man out of the dust of the earth. You can almost picture it in your minds, can't you? And then the text says that Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, if you've been listening the past two weeks, you won't be surprised to learn that I think that's our Lord, Jesus. That's the second person of the Trinity who always takes visible form to communicate the love of God to humanity. He was there breathing his life into man. And the text says, and man became a living being. And life in Eden, life in that pure state, it wasn't just biological life, was it? It was life in relationship. It was humanity in relationship with the creation. We were to lovingly steward it, take care of it. We were to reflect to this creation, to this world, the beauty that God is and be the vessels of his love to this world. That's what we were created to do. But he also had an intimate and beautiful relationship with others. Remember that? Bone of my bone flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken from man and they were naked before each other and unashamed, reflecting the Trinitarian love of God, the perichoretic community of father, son, and spirit. But it wasn't just those relationships. The man, the humanity, the human being was meant to be in relationship with God in that place. And there was conversation. God was speaking to man. He was saying to man what man was created to do. And when man fell away from that and rebelled and chose to be his own God, what does God do? He comes seeking for man. And the voice of the Lord God is heard walking in the garden. Again, I think this is the second person of the Trinity calling out, where are you? Where are you? And so John When he says that Jesus breathed on his disciples, he's not interested in chronology, but he is interested in saying to us, I'm picking up the story. There's a hyperlink here. You need to get it. What you were created to be, the fellowship that you were created to have with God, Father, Son, and Spirit is being restored. (laughs) That's why he could say, It's better for you, disciples, that I go away. I mean, can you imagine that something would be better than just being with Jesus, just being in his presence, just seeing his miracles, just watching him teach, listening to him. And yet he says, it's better for you that I go away. 
Because if I go, I will send the comforter. He will be with you always. And get this, he says, the Father and I will come to you and dwell with you. You remember that the persons of the Trinity, they never do anything in isolation. They always work in concert. And so it is that when Paul picks up this theme, he says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And it's by this Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. Now, why, why is it, how is it that the Spirit manages to begin this process of change in us, turning us from loving the things that allure us and entice us into self-destruction, the things that addict us, turning us away from that to love the purity and the holiness and the beauty of our God? How does he do it? Well, Paul gives us a hint, I think, not in this passage, but in another one, when he says that just as the spirit of man no one knows the spirit of man, or sorry, no one knows the thoughts of man except the spirit of man who is in man, right? That's 1 Corinthians 2.10. And you've experienced it, right? You're sitting in a crowded room and all kinds of conversation going on and you're preoccupied. Something is eating at you. No one knows those thoughts because you're not saying them. You're not telling them. The word hasn't come out, but you know them. You know yourself. And then Paul says in the same way, No one knows the things of God. No one knows the interrelations of God except the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit comes into us like a breath and he ushers us in to this community of God. And that's what the Bible means when it talks about knowing God. It has nothing to do with knowing about God. It has nothing to do with the information you have about God. It has to do with knowing God in relationship. It has to do with being in relationship. And that's why Jesus said, no one can know the Father except the Son and he to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Do we know God? Are we in relation to God? Is the Spirit indwelling us? Are we filled with him? I used to spend a lot of time uh, doubting and really quite bothered because I just saw myself as being very vulnerable to temptation. I was. And let's just get it out there. I am. Maybe you are too. Maybe it's not just me. And, uh, and then I compared myself to some of the heroes of the scripture, you know, and I thought, why don't I measure up? Why am I not like that? And it's this passage in Romans 8, because as I realized who I was, I would call out to him. I would say, Lord, why am I like I am? It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing Paul said in Romans 7, right? When he said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. I I find a law working within me. And that law is against the spirit. It's against what I know to be right. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then right at the end of chapter seven, he launches in to his discourse on the Holy Spirit. I think it's his masterpiece. 
And he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins to tell us about the Holy Spirit. So when you doubt, does your heart cry, Abba? I've lived in the Middle East a long time. Here it is. Here's the Middle East bit. And some places, the dialect, you still hear a little boy or little girl say, Abba, Abba, calling for their daddy. It's this term of endearment. Do you know he's your father? Do you know he's the only way back to the fellowship of father, son, and spirit? He's the only way to get to what you were created to be. If you know that, your heart cries out, Abba, Father, you have the Spirit. That's the testimony of the Spirit in our hearts, that we are his sons and daughters. We are his children. Again, a quotation from Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. He says, what a life the Spirit gives. He gives us himself, opening up to us the lovely fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit, and he wins our hearts to share their satisfaction and pleasure in each other. Now, can I just stop there for a moment to say that often in the evangelical church, we don't talk much about the Father, Son, Spirit, God. We kind of talk about Jesus, the one who we can understand the most. Well, we think we can. I don't think we can. Just give me Jesus. And that's a beautiful song. I hope you keep it and sing it as I do because it's talking about just give me Jesus in distinction to the things of the world. But when you get Jesus, you don't get him unless you get the love of the Father. You don't get Jesus except through the indwelling spirit. So when we say, give me Jesus, we're saying, give me the Father, Son, Spirit, God. Bring me into the fellowship of this God. Who knowing this could ever prefer the cleaner, leaner idea of a single person God? For strip down God and make him lean and you must strip down his salvation and make it mean. Instead of a life bursting with love and joy and fellowship, all you will be left with is the watery gruel of religion. Have you ever been served up the watery gruel of religion? We've had enough of that, haven't we? Give us the Father, Son, Spirit, God. Instead of a loving Father, a distant potentate, instead of fellowship, no security in the beloved Son, no heart change, no joy in God could that Spirit bring. So this is the work of the Spirit to transform our affections, to draw us into God, to enter in us as the very breath of life, to give us again, return us to the life of God. This is the personal dynamic of the Spirit within us. But there's another dynamic, and it's a corporate dynamic. I won't take as long on this, but going back to Genesis, it was always God's plan, wasn't it, that those who were created in his image would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we know that we were created for Jesus. We were created for the Son. So we were in his image, not not he who became in our image, 
But we were created originally to be in his image and reflecting his beauty and glory to the creation. We would glorify God and this world would be the temple where that worshipful, adoring relationship would take place uninterrupted in the beauty of God's surrounded by his creation and all of his provision and all of his gifts of relationship and aesthetic beauty. That's what God intended. Now, When Jesus breathes, he breathes on that motley crew, you know, those disciples, those fishermen, those deniers, right? And he says, receive the spirit. And that motley crew becomes the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. It becomes becomes the reality that Jesus is re-inaugurating through the spirit. Now, there's a, there's a relational aspect of this, isn't there? That's kind of within here. It's in-house. When Jesus says his commandment to us is that we love one another. Really complex, hard to understand, right? Love one another. How could it be more simple, more plain? Because we in this community, in the, this church, we are to reflect the perichoresis. We are to reflect the community of Father, Son, and Spirit. Those are our, that's our life together, our constitution. Love one another. But there's also a ministerial aspect, not just a relational, but a ministerial aspect. And that is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right? And when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, he's saying to us something extremely profound. That is, that as Christ came into the world, as Christ was the vessel of God's love to the world, through the indwelling spirit, we the disciples of Jesus now become that vessel of God's love to the world. That's outside these walls. That's outside the body. That's our ministry in the world. And in doing that, we reflect who God is. And if we don't do that, we don't reflect who God is. And as that spirit was poured out, there, became, uh, there came to be an image that was used for the church, the disciples. And you know it, but it's one of those that we know so well that just kind of does this. The Acts, the writer of Acts, Luke, was said, said that when these new believers came in and they came flooding, they came flooding in, he began to say, and X number were added to the Lord that day. It's kind of a strange way to talk, isn't it? They, came, they were baptized, they became members of the church, right? Isn't that what he mean? They became members. But he never said members. He said they were added to the Lord. And then as time goes on, not very long, Paul begins to refer to this group as the body of Christ. And so it becomes evident that when the Spirit was poured out, when Christ ascended into heaven, and on that day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out, it was the Spirit of Christ, that that group of believers was formed into something new, something that had never existed in the world. Now, the Old Testament people of God existed. Sure, they did. But this new entity is the body of Christ. 
the body of Christ. So there is through the given spirit indwelling believers, forming us into a body, we become the body of Christ on earth, united through the spirit to our head who is in heaven. And so Jesus begins to work out his ministry, his love for the world, that overflowing cascading love for the world. He's working it out and we are his succession plan. He doesn't have plan B, we are it. We are it. And he's guaranteed that it's going to work because he's he's given us his spirit. And that's about all I have to say about the corporate nature of the Spirit's work. But I still have something to say. I want to talk about what it means, what this means in our world. And boy, you could just have a conference. You could talk for years about what this means to the church, couldn't you? But I'll I'll just hit on three applications as we sort of wrap up here. The first is that if this is true, if we are the body of Christ because we're given the spirit of Christ and indwelled by his spirit and we are his means of expressing love to the world, the first application is that the body of Christ cannot be divided. It cannot. The reality of it is is one body because it's animated by one spirit, the spirit that can't be divided. Christ's body can't be divided with itself, can it? And you might be kind of like me, you know, throwing up your hands and saying, but wait a minute, we're all in these denominations. And I know that. I'm pretty much resigned to the fact that we're all in different denominations. But I will never resign to the fact that we are divided. We must be people of unity. We must uphold the unity of the body of Christ. That's what Jesus prayed. It was so important to him that he prayed that that we would be one as he was one with the Father and that through this oneness, the world would know. That's the great apologetic. It's the great mission of the church is our unity. It's showing to the world a different way to live. We are one. We must be one. There's a second application that I will, oh, before I go to the second one, I was just in Syria back in February. Yeah, you, you heard me right. I was in Syria. And uh, they've been through seven years of hell, war. And we were visiting churches in that land. There are churches in that land. And it was evangelical churches. And do you know what they did? They took us, there were about a dozen of us sort of Presbyterian pastors. They took us to meet their Orthodox brothers and sisters. So we'd sit with these Syrian Orthodox bishops or uh, Armenian Orthodox priests. And it was beautiful to see that though there there were lots of divisions in the body of Christ there, these leaders were working hard to express the unity of the body in this war torn land. Yeah, maybe we can learn something. So we're one. Second, I'm getting close to being finished. The church is multicultural. We are a body made up of people of all tongues and tribes and nations. And that is because the spirit is passionate. He's zealous that the glory of Jesus will go 
to the ends of the earth. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to raise up Jacob and Israel. I will make you a light to the nations. Jesus' glory to the nations. That's the Spirit's agenda. So being multicultural is not just a cool new thing, right? It's the reality that we're called to live. So delighted to see this ESL program. I hope you guys just make that thing fly. I hope you just fill this church with people. Of course, it's not being held in the church, is it? But nevertheless, I hope you just enjoy that. This is what the love of God pours that poured out looks like in practice. And you know that, well, that gathering in Acts 15 when the Disciples decided these Gentiles, these nations coming in, they don't have to be circumcised. That's old hat for us. We know it. For them, it was epic making. They had to somehow find a dynamic that would move them beyond mere obedience to Old Testament law, and they found it, including the nations in the body of Christ. So the church can't be divided. The church is multicultural. And this last one, Mission is holistic by its very nature. Mission is holistic. It deals with the whole person, his physical needs, her physical needs, justice issues. You know, we're good at proclaiming the gospel. We've got it all worked out in four or five points and we know the sinner's prayer. And that's what we've perceived as mission for a long time sort of sharing the gospel and bringing people to faith. And that's a good thing. I don't want to undermine that in the least. But I've seen, as you have, that uh, the Yemeni boy soldier who's malnourished can hardly hear the gospel. Yeah? The, uh, The Eritrean maid who's been trafficked and abused and now finds herself serving in the home in the wherever in the world that made quite, can't quite get her mind around the fact that God loves us and has given his son for us. The minority youth on the other side of this city or in Mississippi or Alabama who knows that they are twice as likely to be stopped and frisked by policemen because of the color of their skin and twice as likely to serve prison time because they use drugs than their white counterpart they're going to have a really hard time hearing that gospel. Do you know why? You do. Because their world is screaming at them that God is not love, that the systems are not just, that you got to get while you, what you can get while you can get it to get ahead. And so hatred forms because they don't understand. They can't see God is love. Now, Brothers and sisters, if the church doesn't step up to say God is different, not not with the words of our mouths, but actually inserting ourselves into the systems of injustice that propagate abuse and exploitation in this world, if we don't step up, who's stepping up? (laughs) And how will they hear the gospel? How will they hear? Just close with this because I, It just happened yesterday, very spontaneous and quite a surprise. You know how the Spirit sometimes says something and you're just not even prepared for what he's going to say. 
I was walking around a, a body of water, you know, that beautiful water out here at, in Farragut on the Tennessee River, and I was sort of rehearsing what I was going to say today. And I noticed a guy over there fishing on the bank, and he had like three or four poles stuck in. And the closer I got, I realized, oh, he looks, he's dark-skinned. He might, he might actually be a Middle Easterner. And, uh, and about that time, he turned around and our eyes locked. And he just stood there and looked at me. And I got a little further around, and then his hand went up. And I got a little closer to him, and I wasn't quite placing him. But he said to me, Salamu alaikum, ya brother Mike. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah. And I remembered him. He was from the refugee ministry here at the church. And we had a little conversation. He told me about his life and his kids. And he's been here, what, I don't know, seven years or more. His kids are getting launched. He's had an accident at work. He's now disabled. But you know what he said? He said to me, Wallahi, which is the Muslim way of swearing. He said, by God, by God, God bless that church and Elmaz and all those people that helped us. May God bless those people. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that something? Celebrate it. You know, through you, the world is being righted a little bit. But I share it with you to say, don't stop. Keep going. Let the passion of the Spirit fill you with passion for the gospel and for transforming this world as the Spirit brings transformation within us. Father, we are grateful to you for the Spirit, how we need him. Fill us, O Spirit of God, come. O Spirit of God, fill us to the glory of Jesus in our city, in our church, and in this world so needy. In Christ we pray. Amen.